Faith for Today with Colin Urquhart and Julia Fisher. We saw in yesterday's programme what happened to Peter and the Apostles who had found themselves in prison. And uh, we are, of course, uh, looking closely at uh, the Book of Acts. And uh, it was Gamaliel, the Pharisee, who spoke up for them. And we're looking at Acts very much in the light of what it can teach us about how the church is to operate today. Uh, This was the Acts of the Apostles then, but we are to be living the Acts of the Apostles today. Uh, Yes, Gamaliel came forward at this council meeting with great wisdom, uh, basically saying, well, if what they're doing is of God, you won't be able to stop them. If it isn't of God, the whole thing will collapse anyway. And I was saying at the end of yesterday's program that, um, of course, the church has continued to grow and to prosper ever since this day because it is very much of the will of God. It is the body of Christ. And that's not just a title. It's a description of what the church should be doing, living as the body of Christ, continuing the ministry of Jesus Christ in the world, living in the supernatural, living in the miraculous, proclaiming the truth, seeing lives transformed. So Gamaliel's um, point persuaded the council. This persuaded the council. They called the apostles before the council again and had them flogged. They ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus again and then release them. What we must understand is, you see, the name denotes the person. And the name of Jesus or Yeshua in, in, in Hebrew was by this time, as, as early as this, had become really an abomination to the Orthodox Jews, believers, members of the council. Uh, They would not hear anything in the name of Jesus. Why? Well, they'd been responsible for his crucifixion. He'd risen from the dead. He'd shown them that they were wrong to persecute him and to reject him, uh, that he is indeed the Messiah, the Christ, the Son of God. So, Rather than face their failure, there just was this tremendous hatred for anything connected with Jesus. And, of course, that hatred goes on to this present day. So what was going on in Gamaliel's mind? Well, we know from other references that there were some believers amongst the um, council. Um, You know, it's almost certain that Nicodemus, for example, who came to Jesus by night and who was one of those that um, put the body of Jesus into the grave after the crucifixion, he had almost certainly become a secret believer. And perhaps Gamaliel was too. Brave men. Um, Yes, brave in one sense, but, you know, they didn't come, at least at this point, they didn't come out openly and say, well, we believe that Jesus is the Messiah. So, you know, perhaps uh, Gamaliel was on the border. He was wondering, he was questioning himself. Uh, But anyway, God certainly used him. But still, the council flogged the disciples, even though they were going to release them. Why? Well, they just hated this name of Jesus. They hated everything that he stood for. But what was the apostles' reaction? Were they really bitter and resentful that for obeying what the angel had told them to do, 
they'd just been flogged. No, it says in verse 41, the apostles left the council rejoicing that they had been given the privilege of, dis of suffering disgrace for the name of Jesus. Far from being bitter and resentful and angry, what do you think's happening, Jesus? We're obeying you, we're preaching in your name. What are you allowing this to happen for? They just rejoiced because... Now they were more like the Savior who they loved. He suffered for them, and now they were suffering for the cause and the sake of, of, of the kingdom. Undeterred, they went daily into the temple courts as well as from house to house and continued to teach and proclaim the good news that Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah. So they weren't going to be put off. They weren't going to be silenced. They weren't going to compromise their message. They weren't going to water it down in order to try to be acceptable. They weren't trying to make uh, Jesus acceptable to people. What they were really doing was quite the opposite of showing people that they needed to get right with God by accepting Jesus as their Messiah, as their Savior, as their Lord. And, and this is the mistake that the church has made to a great extent in, in modern times, that it tries to present a gospel that will be acceptable to the world. But you see, the gospel is not acceptable to those that are living in darkness. It's confrontational. And the gospel is good news, but it's only good news if you believe the bad news that without Jesus you're living in sin, in, in condemnation, and in danger of eternal separation from God. So uh, if we really love the non-believers, if we love the people in the world, we're not going to try to create a gospel that we think will ex be acceptable to them, but to show people, look, you need to be made acceptable to God. Because if you are not made acceptable to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, then you are for a very, very bad eternity. And it's not that they preach out of fear, but they, they want to show, they want to confront people with their need, with their, their need of God. You know, so often Christians make the mistake of getting into conversation and, and it's all mind to mind. You know, people, non-believers ask questions, and you can have a glorious debate about the existence of God. And I was, I was doing a session with some of our students yesterday, and we were talking about this. And, you know, and I was putting before them a, a question that would be asked, a typical question asked by a non-believer. And the, they all fell into the trap, you see. They all started to answer the question and, and come to a glorious debate. Whereas if you listen carefully to the question, the man had a need behind the question. And what they needed to do was not get into some kind of philosophical or theological debate. They needed to get straight to the problem. You know, why are you asking this question? Are you feeling guilty about something? Because it was a question about sin, you see, and Jesus. And, and you see, in that way, you, you touch the need in the person's life and you bypass this, because you, you'll never argue people into the kingdom. You'll never convince them uh, with the mind because nobody comes into the kingdom of God unless they're convicted of sin. And that's a work of the Holy Spirit, but it's a work on the heart. 
It's not a work on the mind. People begin to see their need of God, not through argument, but because their need becomes exposed before the Lord. And and then, of course, you can say to people, well, you know, how do you get rid of guilt? How do you get rid of the shame you feel for all the things that you've done that you wish you hadn't done and that you regret? And you see, the world has got no answer. Psychiatrists don't have an answer to that. They can help people to live with shame and to live with guilt, but they can't get rid of it. Only Jesus can. And that's, that's the way you, you really bring the gospel into people's lives right at the point of their need. So it's just a question, really, of having a little bit of wisdom as to how to, uh, how to approach these things. But the, these apostles, you see, they, their preaching was not, not on a sort of philosophical, theological level. They wanted to do exactly what Jesus did, and that was to meet people at their point of need, to expose their need of someone who would not only forgive them but accept them and make them acceptable to God, cleanse them of their sins, give them a new life, give them hope. You know, so many of the people that came to the Lord, first of all, were the, the down and outs, the outcasts, the underprivileged, uh, the really the people that were really deeply steeped in sin, the prostitutes and the swindlers and, and so on. And and what Jesus did was he didn't reject them. He didn't throw them out of his congregation, you know, because they were there listening to him. But he gave them hope. Instead of Instead of the judgment that they received from the religious leaders, Jesus showed them, look, you can be forgiven. You can be made acceptable to God, you can have a new life. And of course, after the cross and the resurrection, they could become a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. And and this is the genius of the gospel. This is really the heart of what the gospel is all about. But the numbers of believers was growing so quickly, there must have been that sense that the disciples were having very much to learn on the job. I mean, they hadn't had any theological training apart from the three years of Jesus, of course, but they were on a steep learning curve, weren't they? Yes, and the church grows very fast during times of revival. And, of course, this was, we would say, a time of revival. I mean, actually, it was just the church being what God has always intended the church to be. But, you see, what causes the church to grow is is people seeing the change in others that they know. What has happened to you? Why are you suddenly so happy? What, you know, how is it that you've been healed? How is it that this problem has, has just left your life? They see the evidence in people's lives. And that, of course, then enables the believers to be witnesses. Because a witness is someone who answers the question, but then somebody's got to ask you the question because they see that you've got an answer. And, and uh, that's really what the church should be all about, that people see there's a quality of life, there's, there's such a difference in these people that are Christians compared with others, especially when they're together and you see the way they relate to one another, love one another, care for one another, look after one another in fulfillment of what Jesus said that people say, I want to be part of that. You've been listening to Faith for Today, presented by Julia Fisher. This program is sponsored by Kingdom Faith. For further information, visit our website, kingdomfaith.com. 